0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 or turn on your device and uh, turn in there to Matthew chapter 12. And if you don't already, go to montgomeryfbc.org slash and you can get the, the sermon notes. You can put in your prayer request or your prayer needs and you can follow along on the FBC app to uh, type in your sermon notes and it'll be stored uh, somewhere up in the cloud. So you can access that at any time. And uh, this morning we are going to dive into this uh, question and this conversation about Jesus, the Pharisee and the. Withered hand. So if you have your Bible, let's just, let's go ahead and dive right in and figure out what the Lord's going to say to us through uh, his word. So if you will follow with me, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse nine. Now, Jesus has had a little bit of an interaction with the Pharisees already on the subject of the Sabbath. And here, Jesus is going to leave that interaction and find himself in another interaction uh, about the Sabbath. So let's, let's follow along here in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse nine. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand and the man stretched it out. And it was restored healthy like the other. Now you read this passage and you know Jesus has just come from talking to the Pharisees about the Sabbath. And you look at this and Jesus in a moment and in an instant takes a man with a withered hand and instantaneously heals him. This is a a time for believers as we read this passage, we, we have much rejoicing. Look at what Jesus has done, right? He's restored this man from having a withered hand and in an instant he's got a perfectly put together hand. And you read it and say, man, he got the Pharisees. This is awesome. And you kind of read it with this lens of, man, this is an incredible story. Isn't Jesus good? Isn't he the Messiah? He has healed this man. He has restored this man. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is good. And you read this passage with much anticipation and excitement of how good the Lord is. And then you get to verse 14. Now, verse 14 says, but the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him. How to destroy him. You read that verse right here and you think, how in the world, Pharisees, could you ever see what they just saw and leave the synagogue wanting to destroy Jesus? I mean, do not read it and think, how in the world is it possible for the Pharisees to see a man with a withered hand and in a moment come to uh, this restoration point where his hand is completely healed? This doesn't make much sense. And in all honesty, as I read it, I get a little, maybe not a little bit, I get quite frustrated with the Pharisees. How do you guys miss this thing? Jesus is right here in your midst doing incredible work. And yet you want to walk away angry at him. You want to miss this miraculous sign right in front of you. Pharisees. How dumb can you be? How how do you miss this thing? This is too good for you to miss. And yet you walk away and want to not just get him out of here. You want to destroy him. This is nuts. But so often, as I've said before, so often as you read these passages of Scripture and you get frustrated with the characters in the Bible and say, How do you miss it? Disciples, how do you miss the goodness of the Lord in front of you? I mean, Bible characters in this great story that the Lord has crafted, how do you miss the goodness of the Lord, the incredible signs of God all around you? How do you miss it? And then so often when we do this, we have to point ourselves back. At ourselves, We have to point our focus back on ourselves and say, if we're not careful, we are in this boat time and time again. And so this morning, I want to ask us this simple question. How do we guard against the attitude of the Pharisees? Friends, I don't want verse 14 to be a reality in my life. I don't want this verse where I'm looking at the miraculous signs, the great things that God is doing all around me. And yet I, want to, I don't want to walk away just completely unchanged by the power of God's gospel in my life. I don't want this to be reality. So I want to do everything in my power to guard against it. So let's, let's go on this journey together. How can you and me studying God's word guard against this attitude of the Pharisees creeping up in our souls and our spirituality and the things that, We're called to do. So let's just first of all set the foundation correctly. Let's just set the foundation and kind of give a juxtaposition of one and the other so we can kind of see what we're talking about and what we're going to get into in the crux of this passage. So let's look right now at the Pharisees versus the believer, the Christian. The first thing that we see is the Pharisee hopes in religious activity. All throughout the Bible, you see that the Pharisees are hoping in their religious activity to bring them salvation. They're going to do the next good thing. They're going to do the, do the next religious routine to get them favor in God's eyes. If there's a good analogy for it, the Pharisees seemed to believe that God was up here and they just had to climb the mountain, ascend the mountain to get to God, to do the next thing to bring them favor from God. Some of you have grown up with that mentality or felt that mentality. You're still working through that mentality where you feel like if you do some bad things that you've got to do some good things to tip the favor of God's love in your direction. Throughout the text, we see that the Pharisees constantly are working to do and earn God's favor. And so the Pharisees are going to hope in their religious activity. How many more spiritual things? How many more prayers can I pray so that God will love me and incline his ear to me? The Pharisees are all about their religious activity. So let's compare that with the believer. The Christian hopes solely in Christ where the Pharisees are hoping to get up the mountain, to get to God. The believer looks to Jesus who has come down the mountain to us. They are hoping solely in Christ for their salvation, knowing that they brought nothing to Christ and Christ has done everything on their behalf. So the Pharisee is hoping in their religious activities to save them, where the believer is trusting solely and hoping solely in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So where are you right off the bat? Do you feel this pharisaical spirit in you to say, yes, if I can just do a couple more good things or if I can just do some special thing, then God will love me finally. Or if I've done some bad things, I've got to do some good things for the, the scales to tip in my favor. Or do we as a believer look at the truth of scripture and say, grace, God, thank you for your grace to save a sinner such as I. The believer hopes in Christ. So what's next? The Pharisee boasts in himself. The Pharisee is going to boast in himself to say, look at me, look what I have done. Look at the great things that I have done where the believer is going to boast. You guessed it, solely in Christ to say, look at what Christ has done in me and through me to constantly be a mirror or a prism to reflect the good news that Jesus has done in you to all people in all directions. And so often you see the Pharisees continuing to boast in what they have done. Look at what I have accomplished. Look at who I am. Look at revere me, where the believer is going to boast solely and squarely on Christ. All right, so let's go to this third one. The Pharisee, and I got to admit, this one hits really close to home. The Pharisee wants to be seen by others. The pharisaical attitude is to pray in front of everybody, to do their good works in front of everybody so everybody can see them and praise them to be prayerful in public and to do all these great things in public so that people can look at the Pharisees and say, look how cool, look how good, look how awesome they are. Look how their spirituality is so amazing. And so the Pharisees are more concerned about being seen by the world. Now let's look at the opposite here. The Christian wants to be known by Christ. This is a huge difference. That the Pharisees just want to be seen by other people, to be seen by the world and say, look how great they are where the Christian wants to just be known by God. The Christian wants God to know him, to make sure his relationship with the Lord is right so he can be known by God. So it doesn't matter if he is up on stage or if he is doing these incredible things in front of thousands of people. No, the believer just wants to make sure that he is doing the thing that God has put on his pathway whether he's teaching a Sunday school of 10 or whether he's doing miraculous work across the the world, it doesn't matter if he is doing what God has called him to do. So the Pharisee wants to be seen by others while the Christian just wants to be known by God. And we are seeing stark contrast, are we not? So let's go to these last two, which are really, we'll breeze through these as we get into the heart of our text today. The Pharisee's heart is hard. The Pharisee has a hard heart that is not moldable, not changeable. It is hardened over years and of years of just sinfulness and just doing what God has not called. Where the believer has a moldable heart. The heart of a Christian is moldable and shapeable into the image of God. On top of that, if we go to the next one, the Pharisee wants Jesus gone, as we're going to see this morning. Uh, The Pharisees want Jesus gone, and the Christian just is inviting Jesus in. And friends, that's what we're talking about this morning, that the, the Pharisees want Jesus gone. And for the believer, we are inviting Jesus in in every way we know how. We're inviting Jesus in. So that's where we're going to start this morning. Let's, let's dive into this text again. We've, we've read it, but let's look at these important high points of scripture. If we see verse nine, it says, Jesus, he went on from there and entered into their synagogue. Now I find it interesting that Matthew is the only of the gospel writers that said that Jesus entered into their synagogue. Now, obviously we know that this is not really the Pharisees synagogue, but Matthew makes the point to demonstrate the the tension that is happening between the Pharisees and Jesus. I mean, look at this interaction that happens right before Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. There's already disagreements about the Sabbath. The Pharisees are already trying to come in and take over and get this guy gone. And here we see that Jesus goes out from there and entered into their synagogue, or, or so they thought. So the first point that we see this morning is we invite Jesus in. The first point that we can draw this morning is we want to invite Jesus in. For the Pharisees, there's a a great struggle, a great strife in inviting Jesus into their synagogue because it was their synagogue. This is the place where they were revered, where they were held in high esteem, that they were respected. This was their turf, their territory. They didn't want Jesus coming into their place. Does that sound familiar to any of us at any time in our life? For many reasons, it's a a control issue. It's idolatry that we sometimes struggle with. That for the Pharisees, they wanted to keep Jesus, you know, out there, doing stuff out there. But don't you dare come onto my turf, Jesus. Man, I got to confess, there has been seasons of life where this has been a reality in my life. Where I looked at Jesus and just, been like, God, that's great, that's good, but just... This is my turf. This is my area. I would, I would much rather you stay over there or stay on Sunday morning and stay on Sunday night. And maybe I'll give you Wednesday night, but you just, you stay away from my work week, Jesus. Maybe Jesus, I'll give you some of this stuff, but I don't think I can handle all of it. So you just, you stay in your place and this will be my synagogue. This will be my place where I've got things under control. We do this with a variety of things in our life, from our finances, from the way we raise our kids, from the way that we have free time and activities, so many different areas in our lives, we treat it just like the Pharisees, where we say, that's great, Jesus, but this is is mine. This is my turf. This is where I feel comfortable. This is where I feel in control. This is where I am who I am, and so you stay over there, and I'm going to be okay over here. See, this pharisaical attitude is that Jesus was stepping onto their turf. And as soon as Jesus entered into their synagogue, we see some trouble start brewing. And so, friends, will you invite Jesus in? Will you invite him into the difficult areas of your life where you feel like you have good control over, that you feel like you like the way that things are, that you like the things that are happening in your life? And you say, Jesus, just just stay over there. You stay in your lane, your, your Sunday morning, your Sunday night, maybe your, your Wednesdays, you stay in your lane and I've got all this other stuff. And it's not until our world crumbles that we invite Jesus in. Friends, I would just ask you to contemplate heavily. When have you invited Jesus into every area of your life, which will lead us to this next great truth. First, we invite Jesus in, but we invite Jesus in everywhere. Everywhere. We invite Jesus in everywhere, into every facet and resource and dark crevice in our lives. We invite Jesus into everything. You see right here in the text that Jesus comes and he begins teaching in their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand and the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Matthew gives us insight into what was going on in the Pharisee's heart. It says, so that they might accuse him. The Pharisees had no intention of hearing Jesus or seeing Jesus or responding to Jesus. The Pharisees were looking to accuse him, not be changed because of him. The Pharisees had not invited Jesus into every avenue of their heart. They were wanting him gone. In in Mark chapter 3 verse 5, we see even more insight. That's a parallel track that Mark gives us. It says, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. See, this this text gives us more insight that Jesus was actually grieved, that it was their hardness of heart that kept them from being overcome by what was happening, that they had come into this interaction with Jesus already having their minds made up, already knowing that they wanted Jesus gone. So friends, when we invite Jesus in everywhere, we invite him into every part of our lives, that we remove this hardness of heart from our souls and we just invite Jesus to take over every area From the way that we talk, from our relationship with our wife or our husband, the relationship with our kids, the relationships with our coworkers, with our moms and dads and grandparents. Everything changes when we invite Jesus into every recess of our heart. But at times we have this hardness of heart that keeps us from listening to God's word. And at times we come to God's word and we say, "Uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But Jesus, you haven't met my neighbor you don't know my neighbor. Or you see these passages about love your, your husband, love your wife, and you say, well, you've never met my wife. You don't know what it's like to live under the same roof as my wife. So over time, we build up this hardness of heart to sin, to just this comfortable nature in our heart to just stop doing the very thing that God's word is calling us to do. Friends, when we invite Jesus in, we remove this hardness of heart. So how do we build up this heart decay, this hardness of heart over time? And the first place that we hardens our heart is sin, obviously. That sin hardens our heart. And friends, today, if you would say with a clean heart that you have a hard heart, that as you examine your life and examine your nature, if you would just say, yes, I have a hard heart. I read God's word and I am unchanged by it. I'm face-to-face with Jesus, yet I am unchanged by it. Ask yourself, is there sin in your life that you need to repent of? So often what just causes these calluses in our heart is just the calcification of sin over time. The snowballing effect of sin in our lives can be best manifest through the life of David. He starts out with these sins that snowball into other sins that snowball into other sins to the point that Nathan has to come to him and just call him out. And David repents and he says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And many of us need to get to this place where we are repenting of our sin. And what keeps us from doing that is pride. What hardens our heart is sin and pride that keeps us from coming around in community with people that we love and trust to say, this is who I am. I am a sinner in Jesus. I need you. And so friends, if this is a struggle in your heart, if hardness of heart is a struggle in your life, I would so encourage you to be around other believers and repent, confess your sins to find hope and healing. The pathway of sin leads down to a dark and difficult place. And so confess it. You'll find light and hope and healing as you invite Jesus into every area of your life He will take this hardness in your heart and he will replace it with this moldable, malleable heart that allows you to see people with love, with compassion, with empathy, with respect as we allow the Lord Jesus to totally take out this heart of stone and replace it with this heart of flesh. So friends, we invite Jesus in. We invite Jesus in everywhere. Number three, we invite Jesus into our nothingness. Now, if you continue on in this passage, you see that right smack dab in the middle of this interaction with the Pharisees on the Sabbath, Jesus is going to use this example of the sheep and doing good. And there could be sermons preached on that. And that may be for another day. And we just don't have the time to go into all these different things that are happening right here. But we see that Jesus ultimately gets to this point where he calls this man with the withered hand forward and says, stretch out your hand. And in a moment and in an instant, this man goes from a withered hand to a completely restored hand hand. And this just destroys the Pharisees because they're trying to say all this stuff about the Sabbath and all these things you can't do and can do. And Jesus in a moment looks at a man who is broken with a withered hand and looks at him and in a moment and in an instant, not that he says, go away and bandage it up and in a couple months you'll be better. But in an instant, this man goes from a withered hand to a completely restored existence. And if you want to buck the trend, of a pharisaical attitude, realize your place in these stories. Realize that you were broken in your sin and trespasses, that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but God has made you alive together with Christ, that we brought nothing to the table, but Jesus has given us everything through his son. God has given us everything through his son. And so to combat this spirit of just being in the religious motion of routine and doing things because we feel like we have to, we're trying to earn God's favor, realize in this moment that we were broken that we came to Jesus with a, a withered hand and a withered soul broken because of our sinfulness. And what did God do? He didn't say, well, just figure it out or I can't do that or you're too deep in your sin or this isn't my area of expertise. No, he sent his son from heaven to earth to live a sinless and perfect life and to die in our place and to take our sins as far away as the east is from the west. Friends, if we struggle with this attitude that and we've just got to do more things for christ for him to love us or we've got to earn our salvation or if we get to this point where we feel pride in our salvation that we have done something to earn it or to receive it or there's some good thing in us that has earned god's favor we come square to the fact that god loved us so much that He didn't leave us in our sins and trespasses that he made us alive together with Christ. And it is by grace that you have been saved. And this should flood your soul with deep love and just absolute repentance and conviction that God so loved you, even though you were dead in your sins and trespasses, God made you alive together with Christ. And so do you think that this man with a withered hand went away trying to destroy Jesus? Or do you think he went away with great joy and great anticipation that this was the Messiah? And so here, right here is where we find it. This is the beauty of the gospel. And if you get to the point that you are too old, too smart, too wise, where you have outgrown the elementary gospel truths that you need Jesus, that you cannot do it on your own, that you desperately need a savior for your sins. If you ever outgrow that or begin to think that there is something that you have done that is so much better than what God has done, then we need to get on our hands and knees and repent of it. Friends, here we see that we invite Jesus in to our nothingness, realizing that he has done the great work on the cross. And so that leads us far away from this spirit of being a Pharisee. And it leads us to this just rejoicing in our salvation daily, waking up and thanking the Lord for the good thing that he has done on the cross for us. So we invite Jesus in. We invite Jesus in everywhere. We invite Jesus into our nothingness. And lastly, we invite Jesus in. Now I get it. It's the same. Uh, Point four is the same as point two. So don't get too upset. But it is incredibly important for us to recognize and realize that this is not the spirit that we want to continue. Verse 14, that after all this incredible stuff has happened, that the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. See, this is the Pharisees' response to meeting Jesus face-to-face was to walk away and want to destroy this Jesus. So many commentators say that the reason why the Pharisees were so upset was because they were coming to the realization that this guy was the Messiah, that he was God's son, and the realization that this guy who was on their scene to disrupt everything, if they believed it, it would change everything. And so the same point for the Pharisees is the same point for you and me. If we come face to face with Jesus, as we come face to face with God's word day in and day out, as we read it, are we changed because of it? Do we read it unchanged? Do we walk away unfazed just saying, well, this is great. This is good. And so you may look at this and you say, well, Mark, there is no way I would ever be like the Pharisees. There is no way I would ever walk away and say, Jesus, I don't need you. I don't like you. Just get out of my house. I want to destroy you. There would be nothing in me that would ever say I wanted to destroy Jesus. And you may be absolutely right where you are. But let me tell you how I believe that this is manifesting itself. And at times in my life, and I believe across the landscape of American Christianity in so many different ways, is instead of looking at this and saying, Jesus, I want you gone, It's realizing the depth of our sin and brokenness, realizing that Jesus has saved us from our sins, and just walking away and saying, that's great. Or just saying, God, thank you for saving me, and just doing nothing because of it. Not living in it, not rejoicing in it, not continually thanking the Lord because of it. I think the scarier thing is not walking away with hatred. It's just walking away completely apathetic to this gospel message. So the Pharisees looking at Jesus, realizing the greatness and grandeur of who he is to heal this man and speak with authority that God had given him. They had a choice to make with what they were hearing. And in the same way, each time we come to the scripture, each time we come to God's word, we have a choice to make with it. We can believe it. We can live it and apply it to our lives and we can soak it into our souls and let it change us from the innermost being or we can walk away unfazed, unchanged in no way. Friends, that's not the goal. The goal is to be so enraptured by the love of Jesus that it changes every relationship we have, every interaction we have. That we walk around just shining and beaming the love of Jesus to all people because of what he has done in us, that he has changed us, that he has made us whole, that he has taken our witheredness and he has made us restored. This is the good news message of the gospel that changes us from a spirit of being a Pharisee that brings us newness of life, not just once, but every day. There is newness of life being poured into our souls when we invite Jesus in. And friends, I am not unaware of the fact that many of you may be listening today and you may not know the life-changing power and truth that is found in Jesus. You may never have felt the the gospel take your sins as far as the east is from the west. And so right now, I just want to ask you, have you trusted in Jesus? It's as simple as the ABCs that that we admit that we're a sinner. We admit that we come to the Lord and need his salvation, that we are great sinners, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We come to Jesus admitting that we are great sinners in need of a great savior. And we believe that Jesus is God's son and that he lived on this earth a sinless and perfect life. That he wasn't just a prophet. That he wasn't just a good moral teacher. That he was the Messiah to take the, sin, the sins of the whole world on his shoulders on the cross. That he died on that cross for you and for me. And he has taken our sins away. We believe in that. And then we call upon the name of the Lord. And friends, if you've never done that before, I want you to know that there are people right now there are ministers on our staff. There's a number right here at the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. There's gonna be a number up here on the screen for you to call and talk to a minister, talk to a person who would love to walk with you on this journey of following Jesus. There are people who wanna walk with you as you pray through the difficult challenges of following Jesus in your day-to-day life. We wanna walk with you. We wanna help you. wanna be there to support you and encourage you as you walk through life's ups and downs and lefts and rights and all these storms that come our way. Friends, we need to follow Jesus, so let me pray for us now, dear Father. Father, we desperately need you, Lord. We are trusting in you for every part of us. We need you to lead us and guide us as we walk through life's ups and downs, through life's journey. God, we must have you, Lord. I pray for that person right now who is struggling with that decision, Lord. Do I know you? Have I followed you, Lord? I want to feel that that joy that comes along with following you, Lord. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't sit on that decision; that they would. They would reach out to a family member they would reach out right now and, and call in or text in and let us know of what's happening in their heart so lord we love you and thank you for your son jesus and it's in his name we pray amen